Oh, good morning. Good morning, church. I'm so excited about today. What a great worship time, just being in the Lord's presence and worshiping together. Welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Life After Life, The Truth About Heaven. And we said that every one of us knows we were created for something more. We know that this life is not all that there is, that there is more to come. And even at a young age, we begin to know that, right? Uh, maybe you prayed this prayer like I prayed when I was a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And even as a kid, we began to know, hey, there's something more here. There's something more than just this world and more this life. And what is that? Well, that's heaven and that's what is to come. And so what's heaven going to be like? We're going to talk about that today. But we thought it might be good to hear some perspective from some kids who maybe were praying that prayer. So watch this. Like clouds and cloud houses. <laughs> I know a big place. I want to be like a bunch of angels, like flying around and like looking on little TVs and um, and they'll um, and they'll see how kids are doing. great. I love that. There's lots of ideas about what we're going to do in heaven, right? Lots of thoughts. But today we're going to talk about what does the Bible say? What are we actually going to do for all of eternity? What's it going to be like? Now we've said so far in our series that heaven is a place. It's an actual place, right? We're not disembodied spirits kind of floating around out there and something nebulous. It's a place that we go immediately when we die. We wake up and we go, if you're in Christ, to heaven. We've also said that heaven is the dwelling place of God. And so if heaven is a dwelling place of God, it's everything that God is. And God is love. God is light. God is life. God is joy. I love that. You know, God is peace. I mean, it's going to be an awesome place. Now we've said that heaven is only accessible through the door of Jesus Christ. That you have a relationship with God through Christ, his son. And heaven, right, will be impacted by what we do here. So we have 70, 80, 90 years on this earth to impact what happens in our lives in heaven. And so we don't want to fall in love with this world. This world is temporary. But we want to live with a mind 
on heaven. We want to live for what is to come because we're going to be in heaven a lot longer here. I mean, this world is like this, but eternity goes on for a long time. And so what we could do here to prepare for what's going to happen there. So that's what we're going to talk about. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, last book of the Bible. Oh, this is so good. As we unpack the Word of God. Now, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we've got some free Bibles in the back. You can grab a Bible, underline, write in it, put your name in it. It's your Bible. Also, if you're online and you're watching, hey, pull up your mobile device right there. Pull up your mobile device here and just check out the Scriptures with us. And we'll put the Scripture on the screen as well. But we'll be in Revelation 19. Now, last week we left off Revelation 5 and we said, hey, Revelation 6 through 18 talks about the end times. It's all about eschatology. It's all about what's going to happen with the tribulation. You know, there's going to be seven hard years before Christ returns. Christ comes back. And so we see those end times and we're living in those end times. But when we get to Revelation 19 to 20, it's the triumph, okay? It's the God wins. I mean, it's the victory. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. Pick up here. Revelation 19. It says, after this, right? Remember Revelation is God pulling back the curtains and saying, John, look in. Understand what's going to happen in the last days. Understand what heaven's going to be like. Write it down. I want people to know. I want it to impact how they live. After this. Now, after this means after Armageddon. After the big battle. Satan is defeated. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven. Shouting, hallelujah. Now that word hallelujah, it appears four times in the next six verses. But it doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. It is like this celebration kind of word. It's like praise God on steroids, okay? I mean, it's like hallelujah. I mean, it is so vibrant and alive and enthusiastic. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments, right? Judgment's going to happen. Judgment over sin. Judgment over Satan. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God. Now this is the third, third week in a row that we've seen these 24 elders representing the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel, the New Testament, the 12 apostles, so the Old Testament, the New Testament, coming together, all of creation coming together, and they fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great. Then I heard What sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. So you imagine John listening to this, the celebration. And imagine millions of believers, right, who are in heaven, who are rejoicing over this just triumph of God. I mean, this is going to be louder than any concert you've been to. It's going to be, you know, more exciting than any football game you've been to. I mean, he hears this and they're shouting, hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
And he added, these are the true words of God. At this I fell to his feet to worship him. But he said, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God! Exclamation point. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want you to see this. All of history, all of history is going to culminate in a giant wedding. All of history is going to culminate in a giant wedding. And I think that's awesome. All right? Because God's love story has been pursuing man, drawing man back to himself, the man that he created for him. And there is going to be a giant wedding. And you know, in this life, right, in this world, I mean, weddings are such a celebration. And you see the love, and, and, and it's so good, and all friends and family, and everybody's there to celebrate. And God is saying, I'm going to have the wedding of all weddings. It is going to be epic. It's going to be the greatest celebration of eternity, and you're going to come. Now, the bridegroom, if you're taking notes, right, the bridegroom is Jesus. It's the wedding feast of the Lamb. And Lamb is always capitalized because Lamb is used 29 times in the book of Revelation, always referring to Jesus. Jesus, who is the sacrificial Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And He died on the cross for our sins to make a way for us. So the bridegroom is Jesus. The bride is the church. And Jesus loves the church. Jesus is coming back for the church. And it's going to be an epic celebration. Now, if you go over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul shows us this. And in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives. All right, so every husband here, love your wife, right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. All of history is going to be at this big wedding, but it's for the church. Sometimes people go, well, I really like Jesus, but you know, I don't really like the church. And that, that's like saying, well, I like you, but I don't like your spouse. You know, I, I like you, but I don't like your husband. I don't like your wife. I mean, it, it, it goes together. It's a package deal. Now, the church is not perfect. The church makes mistakes. But Jesus is redeeming and restoring his church. And that's why we tell everybody, hey, be a part of a local church, you know. Because Jesus is coming for his church. Pretty awesome, the bride of Christ. Notice this though, the wedding dress, the wedding dress is this. Fine linen, verse 8, bright and clean was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So you and I, when we serve at church, we are preparing for the wedding feast that is to come. When you serve in parking, when you serve, right, as an usher, when you serve and you're teaching two-year-olds, when you, when you serve and you're, you're helping out in community group, when you're making a difference and you're furthering God's church, you're furthering God's kingdom, you are contributing to the great wedding celebration that will come. And you and I, we've got like 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth in order to, hey, make an impact and a difference in what's going to happen 
there. The righteous acts of the saints. And how awesome to think that none of us are perfect, right? But as we give our best for the glory of God, the impact that's going to have one day at this huge celebration. So we have this huge celebration. All of history will culminate with this wedding. And Jesus comes back for his church. And after the wedding comes the final judgment and then the celebration. Okay, so in Jewish weddings, right, we, we kind of have, you know, weddings here in, and we have our wedding and then we have like a little reception and you have, you know, cake and nuts and you kind of, you know. But in a Jewish wedding, I mean, it is like game on for reception, okay? I mean, they have like, everybody's traveled. I mean, imagine, you know, back then people were traveling for all over and so, so they stay. So the wedding happens and then it's like weeks of celebration. I mean, like party goes on and on and on and on. And so that's the kind of idea that God's saying, hey, watch this. This is going to be a big party. And so when you get into Revelation 20, you'll see this thousand-year reign of Christ. And then judgment comes. And Satan is destroyed. Satan is taken care of. No more sin. No more death. It is judged. And then it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the book. So you see, Satan is defeated and judged and cast out, done with Satan, right? Then the final judgment comes, and every person will face this final judgment. But here's the beauty of it. It's not in condemnation, it's in celebration. And so the, the great part is this. When you and I die, right, we're going to stand before the Lord. And God's going to ask us this question. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And every one of us is going to give an answer. And it's not going to be my parents' faith or my church's faith or my country's faith. It, it, what about you? Was there a time you responded to God's grace as God drew you to himself and you became God's child. You said, yes, and I submit my life to you. But then at the end, when Christ returns and says, enough pain, enough suffering, right? This great triumph. Then there will be another judgment. And at that judgment, he's going to say, what did you do with what you were given? What did you do with the 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth? Did you build your kingdom or did you further my kingdom? And at that point, right, we're going to give an answer. Here's what I did. Now, it's not like I said in condemnation. It's in celebration. Because there will be rewards that are given based on what we've done for the glory of God. There are rewards that are given. And so here's the great part, right? Everybody's going to get something. All right? You know, everybody, and we're going to have different crowns. Not only we're going to be walking around and I'm like, oh man, they got bigger crowns than me. Bummer. You know, like, I don't, I don't think we're going to do that. I think immediately we're going to get these crowns. And we're going to turn around and just lay them at the throne of Jesus. And just go, hey, I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> I can't believe it. I want to worship you. And it is going to be the most epic celebration ever. It's going to be incredible. He's going to say, hey, let's party. This is going to be awesome. So let me talk about this. There's really five defining points. Five defining points in this great love story. This incredible love story of God. Five defining points for us, okay? So number one, we see this. We see creation, okay? God created man. And that's Genesis, right? Genesis 1 and 2. The very first 
two chapters of the Bible, God created man, and God created man, why? For a relationship with him. God made Adam and Eve. God made you. If you ever wonder why you were created, you were created for a relationship with God. And life's not going to make sense until you get this relationship right. You can spend all your time trying to fix all your relationships around you. But until you get this relationship right. And so creation. Now, what happens here, right? All of a sudden, Genesis 3, and we come to the fall. And the fall right here is Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, everything's great in the Garden of Eden. But Genesis 3 Man all of a sudden says, I don't want to do it your way, God. I want to do it my way. And even though God gave them all of this, all these beautiful trees and all these fruit trees and everything else, they go to the one tree and they take. God, I don't want to do it your way. And the truth is all of us have sinned, right? Well, it wasn't just Adam and Eve. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so now we have this separation. Holy God Sinful man. But then the defining point of all, right? The cross. The cross. The cross comes and Jesus pays a price for us. We deserved to die. So from Genesis 3 on, right? Everything's looking forward to the coming Messiah. Everything's looking forward to the cross, to the hope that we have in Christ. So when you go through the Bible and you read through the rest of the Old Testament, everything's pointing to the cross. All of history points to the cross, right? B.C., A.D., split history in two. Then you come to the next defining point right here. And this is the triumph, right? This is what we're talking about today. Revelation 19 and 20. This is when Christ steps back in and says, enough. And he deals with Satan and he deals with sin and all the things that have happened here. And then right here we have the new heaven. And this is where we'll spend eternity and the new earth. And we'll look at this next week. But Revelation 21 and 22. So notice the bookend. You got Genesis 1 and 2. And you got Revelation 21 and 22. You got the entire Bible, entire history right here in the middle. And then we spend eternity with God in this celebration of this new heaven and this new earth. So what are the implications? What are the implications here of the triumph that will come? Well, here's a few. Number one is this. It's sin. Sin is banished. Sin is banished. That's going to be awesome, Right? Because now we're going to go back to when all of creation existed without sin. And you remember in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, there wasn't any sin. And Adam and Eve, they were in right relationship with God. They would walk with God in the cool of the day. They were fully known. They were fully loved. They were fully accepted. And they were in right relationship with one another. Remember that? I mean, they had no shame. It was awesome it was amazing. And so because of the triumph, we come here to spend eternity fully known, fully loved, fully accepted by God, and fully in right relationship with one another for eternity. Sin is banished. Sin is banished. You know what else it means is this. It means that we will have new bodies. New bodies. Not just the perishable bodies, right, that we were dealing with here. We will have new bodies that are imperishable. 
What are those bodies going to be like? Well, it tells us. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, it starts in verse 35. And, and the Apostle Paul says, but somebody may ask, you know, well, how are the dead in Christ raised? What kind of body will they come? And he begins to talk about that. He talks about a seed that's planted and that seed's not exactly the same. What grows up, what's changed. But then he says in verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Okay, so what's he talking about there? Well, some people are going to die before Christ comes back. A lot of people have already died before Christ comes back. But we might be alive when Christ returns. I mean, Christ may return next week or next month or next year. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We will all have a resurrected body, a new body in heaven. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God! Exclamation point. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? The triumph, right? So these new bodies are not going to have sin. These new bodies are not going to have decay. These new bodies, we're not going to have the aches and the pains that we have. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created to live eternally. But when they sinned, the fall enters the sin, enters the decay, enters death. But now there's a triumph over death. So the perishable will be clothed with imperishable. So we will live eternally. Now I'm excited about that because I think that's going to be awesome. We're going to have new bodies, bodies like Adam and Eve. What are those bodies going to be like? Well, think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins. But then he comes back and he conquers death. And he is in a resurrected body for 40 days on this earth. Now, if you go back and you read, it's pretty powerful, right? Because in his resurrected body, it tells us in John 19, that the disciples are gathered together and they're all hiding out. They've got the doors locked because they're afraid that the Romans, you know, they're going to come in and take them and crucify them as well like they did with Jesus. And it says, while the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He walked in. Like, not through the door kind of deal, you know? I mean, like, wow, okay, new body. It also talks about that he was in Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden he was in Galilee. So he's moving. But it also talks about that he cooked breakfast on the beach, and he ate. So in these new bodies, right, we'll be able to travel. I mean, you think about all the places we'll be able to explore. I mean, I can't wait. I mean, I love that. We'll be able to go different places. All the places in the universe we'll be able to explore. But there's also going to be a wedding feast of the Lamb. There'll be times that we will eat. I mean, think about in creation. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested, right? There'll be times that we sleep. I'm kind of excited about having some rest, you know, in heaven. It's going to be kind of nice. I could take a nap, you know what I mean? Like, how awesome 
is that. So you're going to see some things about these heavenly bodies. Now that makes me excited. I don't know what my new body's going to be like. I kind of hope I look like the rock. You know, that'd be kind of cool, you know. <laughs> so it'd be pretty awesome, right? I don't have to work out. But, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like. But I'm excited about this new body. Because it's not going to be in a state of decay. We're not going to have the aches and the pains. We're not going to fight allergies and all those kind of things. But what I'm really excited for is for people like my friends. And people like Sari Zell. I don't know if you had a chance to get to know Sari Zell, but she's been a part of our church from the beginning. And if you go into the preschool area, you walk by and you'll see her picture right there on the wall because she gave a lot of the money to build that beautiful playground in the preschool area. And Sarah had brittle bone disease and spent all of her life in a wheelchair. When she went to Vanderbilt University, she graduated in magna cum laude. She went on and got her master's at Vanderbilt. She taught at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. But the love of her life was being a part of this church and teaching in the children's area. And kids would come in and they would say, Miss Sarah, Miss Sarah, uh, do you have legs, you know? And she would be like, God gave some people legs and God gave some people wheels. And they'd be like, yeah. She just taught us to love all people. She raised up a generation of kids here, my kids, who love all people because Sarah loved them so well. And I can't wait to see Sarah again. Sarah went home to be with Jesus a couple years ago. And I'm going to tell you right now, Sarah is dancing in heaven. She is surrounded by kids. She's got balloons. She is so happy. She's got a new body. And I love that. And I can't wait to be there with her. I'm so excited about that. We'll have new bodies in heaven. Also, we know this, because of the triumph, that we will see our loved ones again. Those who've gone on before us, we're, we're going to see them again. We're going to see all those whose names are written in the book of life. And we will recognize them. People are like, are we going to recognize each other? Well, the disciples recognized Jesus, right? I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples recognized Moses and Elijah. I mean, you think about Luke 16, you know, this rich guy looks up into heaven and he recognizes Lazarus and he recognizes Abraham. We will recognize our loved ones. We will see them. We will be with them. And think about this, having eternity to spend with them without sin. I mean, aren't there people in your life that you go, oh, I just want to hang out with them. I just wish I had the time to be with them. I wish I could see my best friend. I grew up with them. I just want to, I want to, you're going to have that time. And think about this. There's no sin to spoil that relationship. It's not that we're going to be in a relationship with people and be jealous or bitter or angry or hold resentment. It will be perfect relationship. These guys, they knew no shame with one another. And I think, wow, how awesome will that be? How amazing will that be? Uh, people will ask, they'll say, you know, well, will we be married in heaven? Will we be married in heaven? But you know what? Some people ask Jesus that question. So I'm going to let him answer that because he is Jesus. And uh, it says this, in Matthew 22, it says in verse 23, uh, that same day the Sadducees, now, the Sadducees, they were the religious leaders. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those were kind of the religious leaders of the day. And they were always trying to trap Jesus because they didn't believe he was the Messiah, you know. And so they're trying to trap him all the time. And you could tell the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees this way. The Sadducees didn't believe there was a resurrection. 
So they were sad, you see. Yeah, that's how you remember that, okay? A little helpful hint, right? But that same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. And they're thinking, oh, we got him now, you know. <laughs> he can't figure this one out. I mean, she was married seven times. I mean, like, they can't have marriage. Oh, you know, like, come on. We got Jesus on this one. And Jesus goes, hey, listen, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And like the angels in heaven, meaning separate, that they'll worship. So we won't be married in heaven. Now, I believe, I'm going to know Lisa. I love Lisa. We're going to hang out together. We're going to spend time together. But we will be a part of the wedding feast of the Lamb. We will be married with Jesus. We'll be for eternity with Him. We'll be in right relationship with others. I, I love what Jesus goes on because he kind of throws this in. Like, hey guys, you don't believe in the resurrection? Let me just kind of throw this to you. He says, but, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? This is in the Old Testament, right? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. <laughs> and when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. He goes, oh, Abraham, he's still alive. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Isaac, Jacob, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was hanging out with those guys, you know. Oh, yeah. See, it's life after life. It's not life after death. It's life after life. Uh, what about babies? What about babies in heaven? Some people ask that. And, and I believe there's going to be babies in heaven. I, I believe when a baby dies, right, they, they instantly go to heaven. I believe that with all my heart. I, I believe some of you, you know, who've had a miscarriage, and I'm sorry, but I believe you're going to see that child again. I believe you will. And I believe you're going to watch them grow up. I think we're all going to grow up. I'm probably about 30 years old. That's kind of my thought. You know? And you're going to watch them grow up to that age, and, and you're going to be with them. What about, what about nations? What about different cultures? Oh, there's going to be different cultures in heaven. I mean, God made different cultures, right? God made us different. And I'm excited about that. I mean, think about the best of all the cultures of the world coming together in heaven. I mean, that's going to be incredible. I mean, I hope the wedding feast of the Lamb is catered by Italians. I mean, I just, I hope that because that would be awesome. I hope that there's Irish dancing there. because I mean, that'd be great, you know, and there's going to be French art. I hope it's American music. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's going to be awesome. You know, what about animals in heaven? People want to know. Well, come back to Genesis 1 and 2. Do you remember they were in the garden and there were animals everywhere and there wasn't fear? I mean, they named the animals. Isaiah tells us the lion and the lamb will lie down together. Isn't that awesome? It, it, it is going to blow your mind. It's going to be amazing because... We see when it was perfect and God said, it is good. And we see the impact of sin, but we see the redemption of Christ. And we see what it's going to be like for eternity as sin is banished. Praise be to God. 
So number four application is this. We can prepare now for the wedding feast of the Lamb by making sure that you're on the guest list, right? And by inviting others. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable, a story. He says there's a dad who was throwing a wedding for his son and he sent invitations to all their friends. And he sent his servants out. We're the servants, okay? And he says, go and invite them. And he would go and invite, and some people would go, ah, I can't make it, you know, I'd love to come, but I've got, you know, I've got these new oxen, I've got to train them, or I bought this field, and I've got to get it ready, or, you know, I've got this thing to do. And so the dad goes, yeah, come on, this is going to be awesome. Go invite everybody. I mean, go invite everybody, the least, the last, the lost, go invite them all. And the servants of Christ, that's our call. We have to go out, we get to tell people, hey, listen, it's going to be incredible. I know you think this life is all that there is, but it's not. I know you're tired. I know you're worn down. Hey, listen, there is a God who loves you and wants you to spend eternity with him. I was talking with a friend the other day, and his dad passed away last year. His wife's mom passed away this year. They had a friend who passed away. He goes, he goes Jeff, I, I'm just realizing what really lasts. And I don't have a lot of time, and I want my friends, I want my family, I want people to know about Jesus, and I've missed it. And I want people to know. You, you know what's awesome to me is that all of this is going to end in this epic party. I love that God's preparing it and getting it ready. It, it, it's going to be a celebration. And I love that. And we get to be a part of that. This past Tuesday night, we had our Justice and Mercy uh, International Gala. And it was an opportunity for us just to share the story of what God's doing through JMI. And you know, as a church, you guys... We started JMI, you know, um, eight years ago and to reach people like orphans in Moldova or, or people, the forgotten people in the Amazon. And many of you, you've gone on mission trips, you've gone to South Africa, you've gone different places to serve in the name of Christ. And, and the other night at the gala, it was so fun. I mean, there were people here from, you know, Moldova and the Amazon and South Africa and England and all people just, it was just, it was an amazing time. But there was a young man named Tudor. And Tudor, I, I first met Tudor when he was 10 years old. And Tudor was at an orphanage in Flesh. And Tudor was one of those kids that was just like all over the place, right? I mean, he didn't have any parents. He didn't have anything. He was just a rebellious kid. He was, it, it, one of the ladies in our group, she was doing crafts, and he came up behind and tried to set her pants on fire, okay? <laughs> That's the kind of kid Tudor was, right? You know, that kid, right? Everybody's got that kid. Tudor was that kid in that orphanage. But at the age of 15, he realized he had nowhere to go. I mean, they'd leave the orphanage, and, and he literally had nowhere to go. And that's where they're so vulnerable. You know, girls are trafficked into prostitution. I mean, 60% of girls in Eastern Europe come out of this country, Moldova. Boys end up in prison or in organized crime. It's heartbreaking. A tutor applied to be in our transitional program, but we only had one house at the time, one boy's house, and, and he didn't make the list, right? But when the van came to pick him up, our national director there, she sent the van and, to come and pick up the kids there, belts to bring them to Kishnau to come and live in our house and boys' house or the girls' house. And, and when she goes to pick them up, the, the van driver gets there and there's Tudor. And he's standing there and he's got a little, little plastic bag that has all of his possessions in it, a couple of shirts and some underwear. And, and he's standing there and, and the van driver didn't know. So Tudor just gets on the van and goes two hours to, to Kishnau. And he gets off the van and our national director's there and she's like, you weren't on the list, but you're here. I don't know what to do. So she puts him in the program. 
this kid gives his life to Christ. He, he becomes a leader of leaders, man. I mean, this kid just gets on fire for the Lord. His life is radically changed. And he begins leading in an incredible way. He learns English. And he starts to go back with us into the orphanage. And he's translating for us. He goes to college and, and gets a degree in international studies. And at 22 years old now, he's working with us in JMI. And this guy is unbelievable. And he came and at 22, he was here at the gala on Tuesday night, and he stood right here on this stage. And you know what he said? He looked out to the people there, and he looks out to you now, and he said this. He said, it's an honor for me to stand here because you are the people who saved my life. And it was like God just gave us a little glimpse of heaven. Because I believe at the celebration at the party, there's going to be people who are coming up to you all the time going, thank you. You taught me when I was in second grade. You may not remember me at all, but, but you did. It made such an impact to me. Or you taught my mom. Thank you. Thank you. You gave, you know. Or you came on a mission trip here. Or you served. And you furthered God's church. Or you served at the Father's Sumble. Or you, you helped out with 413 Strong. Or you went with JMI. And you made a difference. Thank you. And you guys, when you serve in the name of Jesus, when you invest for the glory of God, you're impacting so many lives. And you're impacting eternity. You know, even when we tithe, when we give, percentage goes to JMI and you're impacting lives around the world. And so I want to ask you two questions. One, are you on the guest list? Has there been a time that you've just said yes to Jesus? Because it's the Holy Spirit who's drawn you to him. The Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. You are here for a reason and for a purpose. And the second, what are you doing with what you've been given? Are we making the most of this opportunity? Are we living our lives for Christ? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a second. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God's here. So Father God, thank you. Thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace. Thank you that you are with us, that you are for us. And you promised to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that you have eternity planned for us, God, and your sovereignty, Father. You've got it all mapped out. And Lord Jesus, for this time, let us hold on to you with everything we have. And Father, we want to respond to you, God, right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen.